What a day. I love Easter. I love Easter more than I love Christmas. <laughs> as we should. As we should. Not just because there's more chocolate at Easter than there is at Christmas. There's so much more good news at Easter. Christmas is the start of the story, and Easter is the finish of the story. And we want to talk about stories tonight. I'm going to talk about stories, but hopefully you're not going to hear too much from me tonight, but from some other people. But stories, stories are important. Stories take a, a big role in our lives. Everybody has a story. You all have a story called your life. Now, I, I remember going to a, a, a conference kind of retreat once and, and hearing somebody talking about the importance of stories and just how powerful they are. And he was right. I, th I think of some of my favorite films. They might not be your favorite films, but some of these are, are epics, really. I think of Braveheart, and I think of Gladiator, and I think of Saving Private Ryan, and I think of even Heartbreak Ridge, for those of you that, that might have seen it. Now, you might not like those movies as much as I do, but I, I really love them. But what this guy did when, when he was talking at this conference was said, look at these stories. Look at the most popular stories, the most popular films, the ones that stand the test of time, the ones that Hollywood comes up with. Why do they stand the test of time? Because they're the gospel story. That's why they stand the test of time. Because Hollywood steals the gospel. They use the gospel in their movies. You think Braveheart, William Wallace, giving up his life for those people that needed to be set free from oppression. Gladiator, a once general, now gladiator, that gave his life to save the Roman Empire from a crazy emperor. Saving Private Ryan, a soldier that gave his life in the pursuit of the final brother of five when the rest had died during the Second World War. And he gave his life in pursuit of this soldier. And Heartbreak Ridge, the soldier that wanted to go to war as a medic and refused to carry a rifle. He was going to do it his way. But one of the lines in that movie says, give me one more, Lord. Give me one more. He just wanted to keep going back and rescuing more. And that's like our Jesus. He wouldn't give up. <laughs> he wanted everyone. We heard this morning, it's for everyone. Jesus came for everyone and he would not give up. He will not give up until he can save all who will be saved. So all these films, all these stories are the gospel. They speak of a savior. They speak of people that need to be saved and a savior that comes to save them. It is the greatest story ever told. <laughs> for those of you that have seen the 1965 epic, three hour long, the greatest story that has ever told, but it is the greatest story that has ever been told. And it continues to be told in different ways and in different manners. But this story of ours talks of the power of the cross. It talks of the power of the gospel. It talks of the power of our God and the sacrifice of his Savior. It is the best story there is to tell. If you want to tell someone a story, tell them this story because it will save their life. Now we're going to hear this evening from four different people. And there are quite different stories, these four stories. But if you listen carefully, they're all by the same author or the same producer. He is in all of it. You know when you watch a movie and you think, this has been produced by or this has been written by this guy. You know, certain films have to be written by this guy or, or this lady. They do those type of films. Well, our God does resurrection stories and he does redemption stories. And I hope as we speak to these people, you'll start to see the nature of the filmmaker, of the storyteller, our God in their stories. 
So I'm going to ask um, our first victim, sorry, first sharer, because I'm sure they all feel like that this evening, but James Marlowe is going to come and, uh, is going to come and talk to us, so give him a hand. Give me that. So how are you doing? You all right? You're not too nervous? No, I'm all right. No, I didn't think you would be. Uh, <laughs> so, James, I think, would it be fair to say that life as it stands has not turned out the way you expected it? No, not six years ago, anyway. No, no. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us some of the, the things that you've been through. Um, yeah, so probably, like, up to six years ago, I was a normal teenager. Life was all right. I was always really confident, like, self-confident, finding myself. Um, and then about six years ago, I found out I had cancer in my knee, and I was like, about 15, I was like, a bit of a whirlwind, didn't really know what was going on. Mum and dad were probably more, like, affected it than I was, because you sort of lay there in a bed, and they're coming in, telling you all this information, it all goes over your head. Um, and then, I had my treatment, some of it didn't work, some of it did work, I had a load of operations, and they thought I was all cleared of it, which, for someone who's quite self-confident, it's a bit of an ego boost when you think, well, I've just beaten cancer. It's not a good recipe because you think, oh, well, it's the next few years thinking, well, I'll be fine. If I can beat cancer, it doesn't matter. And I had loads of people praying for me and it was amazing. But I think when you're in the time, you kind of think, you don't realise maybe what's, God do, what's God's doing as much, especially when you're 15. You're not aware of it as much as you are. And I've never been a big person on reflection. My mum's massive on reflection. She probably looks back at a lot of things. I don't. I'm always like, oh, I'll be fine. We'll move forward. Which, again, was probably an issue because I wasn't realising that... As m I knew how much prayer I was getting, but I probably didn't realise how much it meant. Um, so for the next four years, carried on with life. Fell away from church a little bit. Just didn't... Again, because I probably thought, oh, well, I'll be fine. Um, I had quite a big friendship circle. I was, was busy with stuff. I was like, well, you know... I always said to my mum, I feel a bit instructable, again, because you're like, well, I've just been in cancer, what could be worse? Um, and then about 18 months ago, I found out it come back, and I was like, oh dear. Um, and then, so this time I was really ill, I ended up having my leg amputated, and the treatment didn't work, and I suppose, as a lot of us do, when you get desperate, you start really worrying, and... I also hadn't been at church loads over the last, like the past few years before that. So I was just like, well, I might as well start praying and paying a bit more attention. And I actually had a friend who just at the timing gave me, it was just like a devotional. It was like a five minute thing every day. So I started reading that. Um, I thought, well, like, you know, not I always believed because I was bringing poor up in a Christian household. So it wasn't like I was like away from God and not believing. I just didn't realize what the effect of prayer was having. Um, and then, yeah, the treatment didn't work, so they sort of said, well, last chance saloon, there's these random tablets. No one in Plymouth's ever had them before. They've only been tried a couple other times in the Southwest. Do you want them? And I was like, well, I haven't got a lot of other options. So everyone was praying for us loads. Everyone was like, loads of prayer. People come around our house. And I think then, because I was needing God probably more than and wanting God before than I had, because I always thought before, well, it's more me than anybody else. Um, so I pray more. And yeah, and then the tablets we found out were working a few months ago. Um, yeah, and so it just makes you realize sort of God's in it all. But and sometimes you don't realize the goodness until you're looking back. And my mum's quite good with me about looking back. So yeah, that's yeah. probably the story. So looking back then, where, where can you feel 
that God has been in this? Where have, where have you felt closest to God? I think as a family, over the whole six years, we've all, we always say we're very peaceful and we're very, very much like what happens will happen. And that, I think that is a definitely a sense of both prayer, but church is a main thing. I think having everyone at church, knowing that everyone's praying for you, and it brings a sense of peace to your life that I think I've met other people who have been in a similar situation or being in like having chemo and kids with cancer and you look at them and you think desperate might is probably the wrong word but you think you can see that they're a bit they're panicking almost because they're thinking well if this goes wrong that's it but looking back at it we've all, I always think we're quite a peaceful family because we're always like well we know what we've got around us and we're very okay with the fact that whatever happens God's through it all so yeah I think having being in church having God knowing he's there um yeah, it's definitely something that I don't, yeah, you be without it, I think you're in a very different position. I think sometimes you take it for granted when maybe you've been in church your whole life and you've not really been tested. Whereas obviously some people haven't been in church and it's more of a, you, suddenly you introduce God and you're like, oh wow, whereas when you think you've grown up as a Christian, you're so, it's very easy to think, I'll skip church this week, I'll skip church next week, and then before you know it, it becomes a habit of not going. Yeah, yeah so where you talked about you, you saw some children and you saw some families yeah. and they're very different to, to where you are. So, and there was that peace. Yeah. And perhaps, I could, dare I say it, that hope. So is, is that the difference between you and them? Is that what you would say now? Yeah, it's just the peace and self-confidence. And it was only that I, had, I got asked, a, one of my consultants asked me the week actually, he said, oh, would you be able to phone this lad? He's just on the same tablet as you and he's really nervous. So I phoned, and it was actually the dad who spoke to me. And he was lovely, but you could just tell. I always thought in his voice, it was almost sad. It was that he's so desperate. And it's almost like they know his last chance loom, but they've got nothing else. This is it. That's it. If this doesn't work, then they don't know any different. They think that's it. It's over. Whereas obviously, you know, being Easter and that sort of fits in really well, knowing that Jesus died and that we'll get eternal life if, you know, we're committed to Jesus. I think, yeah, having that, it's a bit like, it's almost a weight lifted off your shoulders. It's like, I think it's like someone having a big backpack of stones. We all have the problems in life and bits and whatever it is that I think, yeah, you have this big backpack and it's like, well, actually, you're not, you're, really, you're not the one carrying it if you're the one in church. I think if you're not in church, yeah, you have that, the worry and the, yeah, I don't know, the des- desperation of not knowing, just thinking this is it. I think, yeah, being in church, you realise so, it's not. So just to finish then, what would you say to somebody else that felt like that, that felt they've got nowhere else to turn, you know, that all the options are over? Yeah. What advice would you give to them? I think... If you, for people who don't know God, I think it's that, it's the small, the smallest of acts of the lightsabers that might just be given somewhere devotional, might just be just a, the smallest of comments that might help them. Maybe in church, might just get them into church, you know, pop along for a coffee morning at church, or just if it's a friend, just say, look, can I pray for you? Because, like, both people who are struggling with whatever it is in life, they're not, at the end of the day, they probably will like quite like prayer and they even it might seem awkward at the time but I think yeah I was lucky to have a friend who was brilliant who was just like just have a devotional and just read it and I was like all right and it was just that small thing which I took it when I first took it I thought yeah all right but then I actually start reading it and I was like it's you know yeah five minutes a day has led me to being back at church like regularly and wanting to come to church as well and stuff over all of this so yeah yeah. Oh, that's good because there's hope yeah isn't it? there's hope now whereas before maybe that you kind of left that for a while that was kind of yeah the, the, i can do it myself and then mm. you don't want anyone to be here or need jesus that badly but we all are going to need it in some life and i think it's the when you are desperate it's not the 
panic of, well, I've got nowhere else to go. It's just the knowing. And I think it's a lot easier said than done, but yeah, it's the knowing. knowing at the end that, it's the knowing there's that something there. else there. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much, James. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, thanks very much, mate. So I'd just like to ask as well, um, Janet, I have seen her here this evening. Janet, can you come up and join me, please? This is Janet Hurd. You may not have seen Janet. She's uh, been quite new to church. Well, not new to church, new to this one, perhaps, for a little while. Yeah, come and take a seat. So we, um, we just kind of sprung this one on you, Janet, didn't I? It'll teach you for popping in to come in and see me. You, you came, is, it, is it on? Is it on? Yeah, it is. It's definitely <laughs> on. So you came in to see me this week, didn't you, just for a chat? And you started to tell some of your story. And I thought, oh, this is brilliant. Let's get you in on Sunday night. Yeah, but I only come to offer my help for you and Kate. Yeah, you did. Well, you're Not you're doing it now. <laughs> you're helping right now. <laughs> you got more than you bargained for, didn't you? I did. Yeah, yeah so tell us a, a little bit about you, Janet. Tell us a little bit about your history. Well, I was... I was putting in for Australia. We were going to emigrate. And a pamphlet came in the door. And it was about Egyptology. And it was in my son's grammar school at Plimpton. So I thought, oh, I can have a nose at this school and go along. And during these lectures, they were talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then all of a sudden, something clicked inside of me. And it was like, Jesus is alive. And that was it. From then on, I couldn't put the Bible down. I was getting boring for everybody. All my relations moved away. <laughs> and I just fell in love with Jesus. So I had a lot of intensive training for about a year up until I moved to Australia. And then I was on my own. But the Spirit spoke inside of me all the time. And he prompted me like he did for you and Kate. Um, and I just do not exist without that spirit inside of me, prompting me. Um, people got saved in Australia. Hallelujah. And I heard of, and I'm still in a lot of friends with them. I'm still friends with them. And then when we came back, um, we joined a church. We became very involved, got involved with prayer group and um, fellowship and Shekinah Mission and Food Bank, lots of things really. And then, then we went to Spain. We went to Spain and I thought, Lord, why have we come to Spain? And he said, these people, which was expats, they don't know about me and they're getting on in years. And we made about 10 couples we made friends with and we used to invite them to our home We'd give them a meal and we'd play games of some sort. And I would pray beforehand, Lord, let them ask us questions so we can share. Um, and I think by the time we came back after four years, because my husband started to get cancer. But in that time, we, we cemented a lot of friendships, sowed a lot of seeds. Um, and it's just lovely. But then my husband died five years ago today. And I just... I lost it really, I just, everything was mechanical. I didn't want to, I forced myself to pray twice a day and to read the Bible. 
Um, I moved here to this place about 18 months ago, came to church. I didn't like the pandemic. I hated it for being stuck in. Um, so what, what happened to you at that time? So obviously you lost your husband, which you said was a, had a huge impact on you. It did. And then you had lockdown as well. So what, how were you feeling at that time? What sort of things were going on? It was like being a robot. You know, I just, I wasn't me. Because I, um, I know now I just want to hug people. I want to encourage and just love. But I never had any of that then. And then since coming here, getting to know the people in our church, coming along to Sundays and Wednesdays and um, Monday nights with the Freedom Encounters, something snapped. Right. And I'm alive again. <laughs> and I just love him. It's oh, lovely. Man, that's brilliant. <laughs> Because you, uh, yeah, that's fantastic. When you came in to see me, you were talking about this, this kind of the rut of depression that you were in, that you just couldn't, like you say, it was mechanical and you just couldn't see your way out. Can, can you remember one particular, is there a particular time that it just kind of, things changed? Um, I don't really know. I just, I just knew that I loved the Lord at the time. And I said, Lord, I don't feel I want to do this. I'm going to read. I'm going to pray. I prayed in tongues. I said the Lord's Prayer twice a day. And I thought, well, I'm, you're covering me. So whatever it is, you know, I'm staying in there. Yeah, so you didn't, you didn't stop believing at any point. Oh, never. There was no, no. You just knew that he just had to keep going and yeah. keep going and keep going. And, yeah. and, the and I knew came. the Lord led me to come here because I was living in my son's house. And the Lord said he needs to sell it through the pandemic. Go in. Somebody had given me a number to ring and it was the house flat I'm in, and I hated it for a year. I, I just didn't like it, you know. I just, but I said, well, this is where you want me to be, Lord, because there was a no waiting list, and I had a choice of two flats, so it was of the Lord anyway. <laughs> so, and, and it was just down the road from here, wasn't it? Yeah, it's was it twelve hundred steps. But when we were in Spain, <laughs> when we were in Spain, my husband loved Diddy David. Diddy David, he called him. He said Jesus shone out of him. <laughs> <laughs> he said Jesus shone out of him Jesus shone said. out of him yeah I'd agree with that <laughs> <laughs> and um, and we prayed when we left Spain we would come here but it didn't happen we we ended up at Mile House so we went to engage then yeah. and I didn't want to stay. I wanted to come here but you know that's where we went and my husband enjoyed it there anyway so I'm here now and I'm in the area that I wanted to be that's fantastic. Thank you, Janet. So again, we've it's a bit with, similar to James, and there, there came a time when kind of you just knew you had to get to God. You just knew you had to press through. You just knew that times were hard, but I need to keep. I know where God is, and I need, I need to keep pressing into Him. And He brought you through. And and whereas before you were quite sad and quite down, you're now probably the most joyful person yeah. I've encountered certainly <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. And um. And interestingly, James said as well about you can, you can slip out of that um, coming to church, can't you? It only takes one mess, one week we think, oh, I don't think I'm going to go. And it can become a, quite a thing, can't it? I just wanted to ask you, when you were in Australia, how far was it you traveled twice a day to go to church? 70 miles there and back, 70, 140 140 miles. miles, so 70 there, 70 back every yeah. time you went to church, twice a day. So we, we stayed there in the morning. We'd, we'd leave my husband home. He wasn't saved. Yeah. So we'd drive to church, me and the two boys. Um, we'd have a picnic on the River Murray and then go back in the evening for a service. And then on the way back, we'd stop at a diner and the kids used to like the suppers and things. It was a treat. But I will tell you one little story. We went, 
we had two collections in the church, and it was um, one for somebody in India, Dr. Bontaine. He used to feed 1,700 children, or 17, lots of children. <laughs> um, so we had a collection, so I put my money that I would have spent in the diner into the collection. And when we came out and I got to, in the car, I said to the boys, we won't be able to go to the diner because I've given the money away. Anyway, I went to get my keys out, and there's an envelope with twice as much in there than I'd given in the collection. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. You can't outgive God, can you? No. You can't no. do it. No. Yeah, you can try it, but you'll never succeed. No. You'll never succeed. Thank you so much, Janet, for sharing that with us. That's wonderful. Thank you. You all right? Whichever way you want to go. Oh, sorry, you go that way. So I've got, um, we've got a bit of a filmmaker next. We've talked about these stories. We've talked about films. But this, um, this guy has put a film together. Um, and we're just going to watch that. It's about two minutes long. We're going to watch that, which just briefly tells his, his um, testimony. And then we're going to talk to, uh, to Keith a little bit more in a moment. So if we could play that now, Dave, that would be great. Thank you. Eighteen years ago, I had an umbilical hernia and had two operations on it, and sadly, both times it reopened. So I learned to live with it and did so for 18 years. On Monday morning at 6am, I awoke with horrendous stomach pain and was rushed to Darford Hospital as my umbilical hernia had strangulated. My organs had began to close down, my kidneys failed, my heart struggled, and Sally, my wife, was told that it would be highly unlikely that I would survive this trauma. God blesses us all with amazing gifts and the surgeons operated with great skills and set about to save me from the inevitable conclusion. I was induced into a coma for 11 days to help me heal. Having spent almost six weeks in intensive care and another four weeks in high independency ward, I'd lost all my muscle use. A talented team of physios got me back on my feet. Look up, squeeze that bottom. Yes, that's it, that's it. You're there. there well go. done. Turn up, Keith, that's, that's it. Up to all. Up to Where am I? Grow taller. Come on, big effort, big effort. Up to That's it. Big effort. That's a minute. Well done. You want to go down? I felt all the way through these difficult times that the Lord was there beside me. He never left me, not for a moment. And I thank and praise him for everything he has done in our lives. Had I not been a believer, I have no idea how I would have come through this. The surgeon who was in charge of his team said there must have been some intervention as he had seen so many less complicated surgeries that hadn't survived. That was Keith. Come and join us, Keith. Hello. You all right? Yeah, so good. Keith's a little bit nervous. He did ask me if we were running over, if I could just pull him from the lineup. <laughs> but you've got a great story, Keith, haven't you? You've got a really great story. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was a dark journey, I've got to say. Without the Lord in it, I have no idea where, where I'd have been with it. Um, but I was saved... Easter Sunday in 2012 um, and that was 2012 uh, I was baptised in 2016 November 29th 16 
Um, and then this happened. And I just had that searing pain and, and uh, the, the life had changed. I, I very much agree with what James said. For us, we're fine, in a sense. We're in bed. I was in a coma. Poor old Sally was going through all sorts of traumas. And, and, do you know what I mean? It's the loved ones that you leave behind that, that struggle with it. With it. So, um, but, yeah, that was... Some pretty dark good. times there, weren't there? Yeah. And uh, you said there, the, the surgeon said that, really, it would be unlikely that you would pull through. How were you feeling around that time? Oh, I'll take you back to when I woke up, which was 11 days later. Um, what you always want to do is you want to wake up and you want to see the love of your life. I wanted to see Sally's face. I think I saw some junior doctor shaking my shoulders. <laughs> so, um, so I saw Sally then, and first thing she said to me is, so many people are praying for you, and that's massive. I mean, that is absolutely huge. I don't know anybody who doesn't want somebody to pray for them. I really don't and to hear that and it was going out to other churches might have come to this one I don't know but that was awesome that made me feel great straight away she also told me that I wasn't in a particularly good place um, and I knew that then because the next person I saw was my son and my son emigrated to Australia when he was 11 and we're very close he is lovely he's a cracking lad he's 20 he was 20 then he's 25 now when I saw his face, I thought, oh, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> He's flown over from Australia. Something bad is, 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 is going to happen. Uh, but Sally explained to me, the doctors explained to me what had gone on. Uh, they didn't expect me to, to see it through. Well, over that period of time, I, kept, I was taken back down to surgery three different occasions because I kept getting sepsis. And they used a machine for the first time to close my wound because it was so big they, they needed to close it first time Derriford had used it and it sucked the bowel into the wound which was so on three occasions Sally was taken into a room and said we don't think he's going to make it but she's horrendous for, for Sally for me fast asleep um, so yeah but the, the as it went on um, so what I'm trying to say here is with seeing Daniel and knowing that this was serious. I think about two nights later, um, when you're in intensive care, it's really, there's probably surgeons or, or doctors here, but it's really noisy. There's all, I had a, an array of machines all behind me going beep, 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 beep. I had a kidney dialysis machine here. That sounds like a washing machine. It's whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Um, and there was all these noises. And about, I would say, I would guess it, about middle of the night, I felt really unwell, and I just dropped down. Everything went dark. Everything went really, really quiet. And I thought, oh my, I'm not going to make it. That was my first initial thought, I'm not going to make this. So I did exactly what I wanted to do, which is to pray. And I prayed to the Lord. And um, he, I, this bit makes me feel guilty, because I actually asked him to take me to Jesus actually said, I've had enough of this, Lord, it's tough. Take me. The biggest thing that I can get across to you as a Christian is there was no fear. There was zero, absolute zero fear. Um, it, was, it was something I actually wanted. I wanted to go to heaven, it was, you know, and I love this girl more than anything on the, on the planet. But 
at that moment, I just wanted to be with the Lord. Do you know what I mean? So, so Corinthians 1, I think it is, is the lost, death has lost its sting. And absolutely it had, because there was no fear whatsoever. And honestly, as a Christian, that's what you get. No fear. Um, I didn't die. I, was, I woke up in the morning and I thought, oh my, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. Um, so it was just a case then of going through 18 months of recuperation and district nurses coming to their homes and everything else. And, and Sally looked after me for all that time. She was my nurse. Um, and then at the end of that 18 months, they gave me a bag. You might have seen it in the picture. They gave me a bag to go toilet in on the, the side. Uh, and they gave me a choice to reverse it, change it around. You don't need it anymore. We'll do the operation. Um, and that was a big decision. It really was. You would think, oh, I don't want the bag, get rid of the bag. But yeah, I didn't. It was just the right, yeah. So we got rid of that and my wound wouldn't close. So they had to reopen it. And, and that was a concerning time for us. So we've had lots of different concerning times. I tried to cram that film into like two minutes, but this has been sort of extended. And all the way along, Jesus has been there. The, the, you know, the Lord seen me through all this. He gives me peace. He de- he, you know, and, and Sally was told several times she was having none of it. She said, no, the Lord will look after Keith. Uh, and he did. And, uh, it, you know, the, the surgeon we spoke to, was the head surgeon at Darifin. I was very fortunate. The Lord blessed me with him. When I had my reversal, I got the head man doing the reversal. Do you know what I mean? So we, we, we was really blessed with, with who we got. Um, and he wasn't a Christian, you could tell. But he said, I hold my hand up and say that there was some intervention because you was way past what you should be. So, yeah, so that, that's... that's so would you say that God was in control then? Oh, completely. At that time. Yeah. See, even absolutely. when you asked, even when you said, Lord, I just want to come home. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't your time. Yeah, no. That big picture that we talk about, where the Lord's got a, a bigger picture, um, I've no idea what it is. Do you know what I mean? I don't think any of us know what this bigger picture is, but um, I said to the nurse in the morning, I was going to be a pastor. Goodness me. <laughs> don't do no, that. no, it's don't like, do that. you're right, Jeffy, of saving you and David. Um, but um, no, we still don't know yet. I mean, at the moment, we are led. We was led here. I can tell you that we was led to this church. I told Jeff that on the first night I came here. That with the lockdown and we've seen it on the. T- we was already going to another church, but we were felt really led. And one of our friends said to us, "Go to a church where Jesus is on fire," and that's what we get here. It's really passionate and, and everything else. And the other thing we feel led to is we're going to, we're sort of halfway through, as you know, halfway through, which is three months into six months of um, going through the fostering process so we can foster a child and, and give a child, a, 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 you know, some stability, some, you know, some security and warmth and love and everything else that we got in abundance. So, um, so maybe we're being led to that. It's something we're passionate about, so it might be that that maybe maybe that's what you've been safe for. Yeah, maybe that's what God said. No, it's not your time because He's got many things for you to do. He's got many children for you to care for. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, Keith, what would what would you say if you could if you could sum up God and His role in your journey from when when you first operated on to now? How would you describe God in that journey? Just as a constant. 
just literally is a constant, took away my fear. There is no fear. I, I, I said that earlier. There is no fear. Um, I wanted to live in the end and, and everything, you know, be, be right. And, it, and it, it became right. I was back to normal. Signed off. Darford said, nope, this man is now fit. So, yeah, yeah, so wonderful. So things change, don't they? Mm. You know that. The, yeah. the, the people we've talked to already have said that things change. Things go yeah. up and they go down, but there's yeah. one thing that remains the same. Yeah, constant. And that's God. Absolutely. That love. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much, yeah, Keith, for sharing with us. That's thank wonderful. You. Thank you. So we've got one more, one more story to tell, and it's, it's on video. The lady that did this wanted to do it on video, and that's what we've got now. So we're now going to listen to Sue's story, uh, and that should be playing very shortly. Perhaps you could start by telling us some of the things that um, around your childhood, and then as you grew up into an adult, and some of the challenges that you faced in your life. Perhaps you could start by telling us some of the things that um, around your childhood, and then as you grew up into an adult, and some of the challenges that you faced in your life. Yes, well, my childhood wasn't very good. Um, with, I was in a family of four, never went to church or anything, but a next door neighbour took us to church. So we did have a bit of teaching. And uh, my dad sexually abused me for several years, which I found really hard to cope with. And uh, he didn't, he was so angry at times that I was so afraid of him. So therefore, I, when I grew up, I was fearful of people, even my own children, even my own peers. I was nervous about and couldn't speak to them. And then you met Steve? Yeah, I met Steve in 1972, and I fell in love with him. I fell pregnant before I got married. Steve happened to be away, and I had to speak to my mum and dad about it. My mum always threatened to put us out on the street if we came home pregnant. So in the end, my, mom, my dad realised I was pregnant and he spoke to my mum and they were really good after that. Three weeks after we got married, I gave birth to Sharon, who was only £2.3. ounces. She was three months premature and she only lived for six days. In uh, 1987, I went to my friends after coming back from Gibraltar. We hadn't seen each other for years. And I went to her house and told her what my dad had done to me. And she said that she couldn't, didn't know what to say and that she knew someone that would help, could help me. That was Jesus. And then 2001, Steve Fair gave his heart to the Lord. That was amazing. A couple of years later, in 2003, when Steve died, I diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he only lived sort of six months. It was quite a quick death. And I was very upset, as the whole family were. But I found it really difficult to live without Steve. And uh, I went into a mental hospital because I suffering from recurring depression. That lasted 15 years, and I'd walked away from God at the time. How did you come out of that? Well, it was just a gradual thing, really. God did, Jesus did a lot of work yeah. in my life. 
Yeah, and then you went to you went to Salt, didn't you? Yes, I went to Salt, and they helped me a great deal. Right, and they they were counselling you, and then you see you told me that you came to PCC to Plymouth Christian Centre. How did that? What was that like? Tell me about that. Yes, it was quite frightening because it was a big church, and I didn't really fit in places like that. So I was difficult at talking to people and getting to know people because I felt I wasn't worth yeah. worth it. Wow. And it, did that, how did you overcome that? Was there anybody that helped you with that? Yes, Gordon did. He used to talk to me every week until I came back one day and started talking to him. And, so, and then there's this time you told me you went to um, a conference in the city called Stilettos. What happened there? It was for ladies, wasn't it? Yeah, I went, uh, went there and it was a lovely meeting and they called people out to the front for prayer. I just felt I needed to go, so I went to this lady and she, I told her all my problems and she said that I needed to go down the front to the stage and put all my worries and everything onto Jesus at the cross. It, it, it just sort of really an eye-opener, really. It sort of opened me up to talk to people and it was just amazing. I can't <laughs> explain it, it's really... <laughs> And what happened with regards to mental health then, from that point on? Um, well, after a few years, they discharged me from the mental health and sent me back to being uh, medicated by my doctor then. So that was a real good turning point in my life. Why, why were you discharged? Because of Jesus. He's been the biggest, biggest thing that's happened to me in my life, and I owe it to him. So you had, so you thought everything was, we thought everything was plain sailing then, we thought everything was, was done, but then we had lockdown, didn't we? Yeah. A couple of years ago, and, yeah, and you live did. on your own, don't you, Sue? So what, what happened there? Well, I didn't, didn't handle it at all very well. I just went have bad days on and on, not very good days in between. So eventually I did tell my doctor, and she just turned around and said, you know, we'll phone up the, I'll make an appointment with a psychiatrist. Well, I didn't want that. I didn't want know that God, Jesus has started moving on my life. I didn't want to go back to how I was before. So you sought help from, from Jesus again, didn't you? you yeah. You cried out to Jesus and you did, what did you, you enrolled in the Freedom Encounters course? Yes, I was. And that was a changing point in my life as well, because yeah. I was able, they brought things up that I hadn't thought about and they dealt with that. And this is all things going all the way back, back to into childhood. your childhood again. Yeah. And, and Jesus has kind of solved these things for you. He's healed these hurts. Would, would it be fair to say that? Yes, he definitely has, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you've never looked back since? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so you had a life that was, that was really full of pain and grief and, and turmoil and difficulty and, and stuffing things down. And how would you say what Jesus has done for you then? Well, Jesus has brought me back to life. Yeah, Sue's words there, Jesus brought her back to life. Uh, if you knew Sue before you saw her today, you would understand exactly what she said. She was a completely different person. Um, she would come into church exactly as she said. She'd be head down. Didn't want to speak to anybody, didn't want to look anybody in the eye. And now on a Wednesday morning at the prayer center, she's out with her teapot, dishing out tea to everybody. She's the first person here. She greets people with a smile. God has literally changed her life. 
um, all the hurt, the pain, the depression that she went through has been lifted. And, and Jesus did that. And again, if you pick that through her story, Jesus was constant. Whenever she reached out to him, even in the midst of her darkest days, he was there. Even in, recently in the Freedom Encounters, she knew she needed help. She reached out to Jesus and he was there. These are the power. This is the power of our stories. And what do we do with them? We, we talked this morning about our response. What, how do we respond to what Jesus has done for us? How do we respond to this resurrection story? Well, I think our, one of our responses, we had some this morning, and another response is to tell our story and to tell this story. Everyone here has a story. And you might think it's not perhaps as, as dramatic as, as Keith's. Perhaps it's, you know, there's not so much detail. But if you're here tonight and you love Jesus, you've given your life to him, you were dead, and now you're alive. And that's the difference in you. You were dead. You were spiritually dead, and now you're alive. And that is your story. And however you tell that, and whatever the detail is, you can tell people the truth of your story. People can argue with the Bible if they like. They can try and pick it apart if they like. But they can't pick apart your story and the truth of what God has done in your life. And that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing, the only power at work in us. That's the only thing that has changed us. So what is our response? It's our story. But it's no good having a story if we keep it to ourselves. We have to tell it. I just want to briefly, because time's gone on, I just want to read. As I was looking through the end of the Gospels, I was looking at this, the story of the empty tomb. I was looking at the story of what happened when they found out that Jesus was alive. And some of this language is all very similar. Okay, so this is at the end of, of Matthew 28. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. So the women hurried away from the tomb, filled with joy, but they ran to tell his disciples. The next couple of verses, go and tell my brothers. The same language in Mark, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. At the end of Luke, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. That wonderful story, we heard part of it this morning, on the road to Emmaus. These two disciples of Jesus that didn't know who he was. But the moment, they, they had traveled away from Jerusalem. They were heading in another direction. But the moment they realized who Jesus was and what that meant, that he was risen, they had to go and tell someone. It didn't matter that they traveled, they had to go straight back because they knew this good news, this gospel. And then in John, or I read a little bit from earlier. It says, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Then Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. We need to go and tell this story. We need to tell our story. There are too many people that don't know Jesus and you want to know how to reach them, tell your story. Each one of you here has a story. You know, Keith said, I don't know why God saved me. I was ready to go because there's things that God has for Keith to do. There are things that God has for you to do. There are people that you're going to tell your story. Now, I'm not asking you to go and stand at the sundial and shout at the top of your voice what God has done for you. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you when an opportunity presents itself is to be bold and to tell people your story. Be comfortable telling your story. Someone asks you where you were born, you would tell them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go and tell. C.S. Lewis wrote the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, and a, a great theologian. He's often re referenced by modern evangelists and Christian apologists. And among the most frequently used is this quotation on the importance of Christianity. The one thing Christianity can't be is moderately important. Either it's untrue, in which case it's of no importance at all, or if it's true, 
in which case it demands your whole life. It does demand our whole life. This news, what we know, is the best news. It is the antidote to everything we see when we turn on the television. It's the antidote to everything we see when we go to work. Every time we see a friend that has broken down, every time we see someone in need, it is the answer. This news is the answer. It is true. It is true what Jesus did. It is true that he rose from the dead. And if you want proof, just have a look at the, and all the stories add up. Some of them are slightly different. But if you look at the 12 disciples that follow Jesus, apart from John on the island of Patmos, who we believe saw his days peacefully, every single one of the rest of the disciples met a grisly end because of this truth. They would not renege on the truth. No matter what they faced, they would not say, actually, no, it's not true. We made it up. It's, I was just telling a story. The story was true. And the story remains true. And it is true. And the story in you is true. So don't let the enemy snatch that away from you. Don't let the fear that Keith talked about rattle you. The truth of your story and what God has done for you in your life is true. I just want to finish with this because I've, uh, we've gone on a while. But Hebrews 10. What we've done tonight is we've told stories, but we have encouraged one another. You have heard what God has done in different people's lives, in different ways, and at different times. And you know the things that he's done in your life. So be encouraged. And when you see someone down, or when you see someone questioning life, when you see someone in tears, don't be afraid to tell your story and what God has done for you. I've got a story. You've got a story. And there is the greatest story. Don't be afraid to tell it. To encourage one another and to those that don't know him. Hebrews 10 says this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who professed is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We've got to keep telling the story. We've got to keep telling the story. Jesus' last words. Jesus' last words as I, as I finish now. I'll ask the band to come and join me. You'll have heard these words many times. But this is what we're called to do. This is our response to the cross. This is our response to Jesus rising from the dead and ascending into heaven. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' last words to his disciples echoed the end of all the Gospels. Go and tell. Go into the world and tell. Go and tell them what you have seen. Go and tell them what I have done. So let's be encouraged. Let's think about what God has done in our lives. Remember when David was struggling, the Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord. Remind yourselves of what God has done for you. Remind yourself why you're here this evening rather than out enjoying the sunshine. Because God is here and you know what he has done for you. You know that he has saved you. So be encouraged and be prepared to tell your story. Let's stand and pray. Father God, we thank you for your story. We thank you for the greatest story ever told. We thank you for that loving God who sent his one and only son to die for us, 
and everybody that's ever lived. Lord, we thank you for that story. Thank you for that great story. And I pray tonight, Lord, that we would be encouraged by what we have heard tonight. We would be encouraged by people being brought from the brink of death, Lord, with a purpose. I pray that we will remember those people that have been in the depths of depression and you have brought them out of it into a place of joy. I thank you, Lord, for these stories. I thank you that you are still working in our lives. While we still struggle, while we still walk through the valley, you promise to be with us. I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged. Lord, I pray, as we did this morning, I pray for faith. I pray, Lord, that you would pour out faith onto the hearts of those here tonight, Lord. And anybody listening to this message, I pray right now, Lord, that you would install a faith within us. That you would pour out the gift of faith into us. Lord, that we would not be afraid to tell a story. We'd not be afraid to say what you have done, but we wouldn't be afraid to say what you've done in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of your goodness. We would be reminded of your faithfulness. We would be reminded that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, you never change. You always remain the same. I thank you, Lord, that you were risen, that you are risen, and you will be forever risen. I thank you that every day is Easter Sunday. Every day is a day where you are risen. And every day is a day where your Holy Spirit resides within us. So Lord, I pray for an increase in power in your Holy Spirit in each one here. I pray for an increase in faith in each one here that we will be ready to tell your story. In Jesus' name.